it's time for more Happy History Holidays as I'm joined by Creative Director Lindsay Lindstrom. Welcome, everyone, and happy history holidays. I am here with my colleague, my friend, our creative director, Lindsay Lindstrom, and we are going to talk about some of the history of the holidays. So welcome, Lindsay. So happy to have you here. Thank you. So excited to be here. (laughs) Yes. So we're going to talk a little bit about some of the key points in the history of holidays. Um, They all include royals, rebels, and romantics. So we thought it was especially appropriate. And we're also, I've had some requests for a little more literature, a little few more books, some fiction even. And so we're going to throw some of that in as well. So I'm really excited about this. We do have some images. So I'm going to go ahead and share my screen so that you can see where we're going. We're starting with just a quick reminder. Last week, we had that beautiful, wonderful, fun book about the Tudors. And we know the Tudors really did Christmas big. So Twas the Night Before Tudor Christmas was perfect because the Tudors partied for at least 12 days. Christmas was a really big holiday from the royals on down. And for a lot of people, they waited all year to have that time to take some time off or to feast on foods they wouldn't have had all year long, and to spend time together with family and travel and see friends. It was a big deal. It was a very political thing, people giving each other gifts for all kinds of reasons, but it was also really a family and friend activity and a big fun time. We know that they took some of the medieval, you can see a little medieval Christmas here, traditions, and they really expanded some of the feasts. We see the boar's head from the boar's head carol. They really went all out with the way they presented their food, and it was particularly true over the Christmas holiday. And often there was an open court. The king would invite people who would not normally be invited to court, and the lords of the manor would do this in their manor houses as well, that their workers from their farm workers would get to come in on an open day over the holidays and feast on foods like this that they didn't normally get to have. So it was a really big deal. And there were all kinds of ways that Christmas was celebrated. And the idea of the 12 days of Christmas, we do find evidence of the song, the 12 days of Christmas. And I'll tell you, there's a legend and historians disagree about this. Some are sure it's true. Some say no, but there's a legend that the 12 days of Christmas have representation connected to the Catholic church. And that, in fact, singing and celebrating with these emblems was a way during Elizabethan times as Catholicism was being put down and Protestant, not today's Protestant church, but the Anglican, the Elizabethan church was becoming the permanent sort of state church that the way that Catholics continued to practice their religion often happened through Christmas, the celebration of Christmas. And that kind of led to these kinds of celebrations really going dark and disappearing. It does not continue from the Tudors uninterrupted from then on. Sometimes this is, in fact, blamed on Oliver Cromwell. And so during the later part of the reign of Charles I, 
the parliamentarians are rebelling against the king and it becomes a civil war. Now, anytime there's a civil war going on, it becomes difficult to celebrate Christmas. But in fact, in 1645, Parliament, the Puritans who had taken over Parliament, abolished traditional festivities associated with Christmas. And some people just saw that straight out as an assault on Christmas. Cromwell was blamed. Now, we know he supported it, but there doesn't seem to be any evidence he started it. In fact, it was some of these very prominent Puritans who were the prominent Puritan parliamentarians who really worked against Christmas and getting rid of banning these holidays. And in fact, people sort of reacted against it. There was something called the complaint of Christmas, and it claimed that the merry lords of misrule were suppressed by the mad lords of bad rule at Westminster. So that's a pretty clever way to say it's those bad lords of rule that are getting rid of our celebration. And when Cromwell took over, it really very much became the law that Christmas was not ongoing. He supported that. And that sort of lasted throughout the rest of the time of the Commonwealth when Cromwell was in charge. So it started because the Puritans felt like the religion, the pure Puritan religion was being threatened by these celebrations even though many of the celebrations were themselves religious, they didn't want them because they had vestiges of Catholicism. And in fact, even in most churches, by the end of the Commonwealth or Cromwell's time, churches weren't celebrating Christmas. Christmas was just another day. It was one of the quarter days. It was just another day. December was just another month. And uh, that that that's pretty dark when we think about Christmas. Now, A lot of historians and a lot of histories of Christmas jump right to the Victorians as the restorers of Christmas, and we'll look at the Victorians. But there's a really important time in between this dark parliamentary time and the Victorians, and that's what we wanted to take a look at, because Christmas started making a comeback earlier on. When the monarchy was restored, we start to see a little bit of Christmas coming back, and in fact, During the Georgian period, which of course is named for all those kings named George, we have George I here. And when George I came to the throne, there's a legend, um, it may or may not be true, but it's a great legend, that he was served, he was the first monarch in years that had been served plum pudding at Christmas time. And this was a concerted effort to bring back some of those Christmas treats. And so the Georgians slowly started to bring back Christmas. And one of the Georgians who doesn't get enough credit, but did bring in, we know the Christmas tree. And so I'm going to invite Lindsay to tell us a story (laughs) about Queen Charlotte, the wife of George III, who had Christmas trees in her palace. Yeah, I, so apparently... Um, Queen Charlotte did have a Christmas tree in 1800 at the, um, I think it was a children's party (laughs) at the palace. Um, so they did have them. She, um, she would bring them. And I think Christmas trees are originally a a German tradition. Um, and so, which kind of makes sense because the Georges came from Mm -hmm. Germany. So, um, 
I think they just brought that in to remind them of home maybe, but um, it didn't catch on with Charlotte. That was came much later with Victoria, but they did have them. They were around. They did have them. And Charlotte gets overlooked as the first monarch we know to have and decorate a Christmas tree and then use it as part of a party with children, which seems so appropriate. So that's great. (laughs) So as we move through the Georgians, we come to um, maybe our favorite part of our favorite part of the Georgians is the Regency. This is the end of the reign of George III after he had had his breakdown and his son, the Prince Regent, took over as the Regent. Um, Now, this is actually a picture of George IV at his coronation, but this is sort of the way he dressed while he was Prince Regent as well. And so I think it's an applicable or an appropriate image for us to think about the Regency. The Regency was really an over-the-top time, and we have a lot of evidence. It's, It's maybe a little harder to find in the Regency than in Victorian times when it was deliberately marketed. Christmas was really marketed during Victorian times, but we can find it in the Regency. And one of our favorite places to go to see the Regency life is the novels of (laughs) Jane Austen. So Lindsay is going to share a little bit about that. Um, Jane Austen wrote, she was famous for writing about her time. So uh, what's happening in the parlor, what's happening with families, what's happening in sort of everyday lives. And when Lindsay and I were first talking about this, we weren't sure if we'd find much about Christmas in the novels. It, it's not a big deal. It's not chapter after chapter about Christmas. But we discovered and Lindsay discovered some really great quotations and some evidence of Christmas for the Bennets and the Darcys and the Elliots and the Dashwoods and the whole gang. So I want to share some and have Lindsay share some of the quotations and the fun of Christmas in Jane Austen's novels. Yeah. So like Carolyn said, we didn't think we'd find a whole lot, but there are some mentions and, and yeah, maybe not quite as lengthy (laughs) or detailed (laughs) as we'd like, but they do give us a good insight, I think, into some of the things um, that maybe people might have done um, during that time period. we see in Pride and Prejudice, it says right here, Mrs. Bennett had the pleasure of receiving her brother and his wife who came as usual to spend the Christmas at Longbourn. So from that, I feel like we kind of can see that Regency people visited their family at Christmas time. They got together with their family, whether for an extended stay or just for Christmas Day. A family visit was definitely a part of a Regency Christmas. Um, then, you know, in Sense and Sensibility, there's this quote about, um, Mr. Willoughby. They remember that he danced from eight o'clock till four without once sitting down. So dancing parties, that was definitely a part of a Regency Christmas. Um, in Mansfield Park, they say, um, you know, that if they were at home, um, a ball, you would have this very Christmas. So a, a ball, again, dancing, a party, um, you know, going out, seeing friends, family, neighbors um, was a part of it. Um, 
And then kind of more interestingly, because um, is in Northanger Abbey, um, is this quote down here that says um, she um, remembered that her eldest brother had lately formed an intimacy with a young man from his college and that he had spent the last week of Christmas vacation with his family near London. Um, Catherine's brother is at school at university. I can't remember which one he's not, <laughs> but he's there. Um, and so it kind of shows that they got time off for the winter, you know, vacation, Christmas, Christmas time, got time off of school. Um, so, which is interesting because um, the Regency people did not get work off. It wasn't a public holiday, but it was obviously a school holiday. People got time off from school. So, all right. And a couple more. Okay. Um, and then, we so like Caroline was kind of saying at the beginning when we first started thinking about this we didn't really know well because we couldn't find we didn't couldn't think of very many examples from Austin so we kind of were like well did, what did they really do anything because <laughs> <laughs> you know we knew that Christmas had kind of gone away for a while and then it kind of came back and the real resurgence was with Victoria and that was kind of the you know, repopularizing of Christmas big time. So we're kind of like, well, did they even do anything? Because we can't remember, you know, Jane Austen ever talking about it. So it must not have happened, right? <laughs> <laughs> but um, but that's why this quote is so fun because it says, this one at the top says, I sincerely hope your Christmas in Hertfordshire may abound in the gaieties which that season generally brings, which kind of shows us that, you know, people did participate in all kinds of activities that it was the time for people to have fun and to have joy and be festive. And so they did appreciate it and they did enjoy it. Um, so, yeah. And then Jane Austen herself wish, wishing her sister Cassandra a cheerful and Merry Christmas <laughs> again, kind of showing it was a time to be happy and celebrate life and enjoy Right. <laughs> which is which is great because it is in the novels. It's it's quiet. It's more subtle. When we look at Dickens, it's quite a bit more dramatic and Victorian. Yeah. It's it's very much again, it's marketed, but it right. is there as a joyous time. And Lindsay, did you also find some Regency history that sort of indicates what the people were doing as well as what the Jane Austen characters. Yes. As well as what the real people might have been doing. <laughs> um, yeah. So Christmas um, in the Regency would have been somewhere between, well, not just time-wise, but in terms of what we might recognize as Christmas would be somewhere between probably what the Tudors were doing and what we today would be doing. So they did celebrate um, from that same, you know, 12 days of Christmas kind of time frame from Christmas Day to Twelfth Night. Um, probably not as many feasts or <laughs> festivities or parties happening quite like the Tudors, but definitely, you know, they would have a dinner on Christmas Day. Um, and then um, they did give gifts to children on Christmas day, which is probably where the whole, you know, Queen Charlotte's 
kids party <laughs> comes into play there too, right? Um, that seemed to be more for the children. <laughs> um, and then, um, but then on Twelfth Night, they seem to exchange gifts more between everybody, um, friends and family and things like that. Um, and then they did celebrate Boxing Day where they um, did more of the work relationship, gift exchange, servants to masters and employees and things. Um, and, um, but so, yeah, so not quite as many festivities going on in between, but they did celebrate that whole time. Um, or that was still their time frame, time period. Um, but yeah, they're, on Christmas Day itself, there were, like I said, mentioned dinner. They did like a dinner. They'd have, um, I think it says that they would have things like um, roast beef, a turkey, or a goose. Um, they did have mince pies back then, too. <laughs> um and like you mentioned, plum pudding, which I, I guess I didn't know that about George the first, but maybe he kind of brought that back. <laughs> um, and roasted chestnuts. So um, they ate well and mm-hmm. enjoyed it um, if they could. Um, and then um, I read something that suggested that people kind of brought back the whole decorating their homes with holly and ivy, which kind of harkens back to the days of merry old England with the Tudors, which I think that was a big part of their celebrations was decorating with the greenery and um, things. And it's something we might still recognize because I feel like holly and things are Mm -hmm. still pretty popular today. Um, But um, yeah, so that, um, and then the other thing just was that Christmas, and this is something I think that is kind of timeless part of Christmas, that no matter what year you're looking at is probably a part of this this Christmas celebrations. It's just that Christmas was definitely recognized then, and I think before and today, um, as a time of giving, like a season of generosity and kindness. Um, and... So I think, yeah, I think that would be recognizable at any point in history as, as, and whether you're religious or not, you know, Mm -hmm. I think that still is a part of the Christmas season. Well, that's great. (laughs) Right. And you can see that, that during this time, a lot of the things they're eating and celebrating and the nights and the days that are important and that idea of giving, um, does sort of carry through. So as we go from the Regency and get into the time of the Victorians, here's where there is a concerted effort by Queen Victoria and Prince Albert to put Christmas right back on center stage and the idea of a family Christmas. And so here's a really famous image that was created. And so... Um, Lindsay mentioned that we know Charlotte had a Christmas tree. Queen Charlotte had a Christmas tree long before 1848, almost 50 years before that, but it didn't really catch on with families. 
But Victoria and Albert really wanted it too. They wanted this tradition and this idea of families gathering around the tree. So this is one of the images and you'll see variations of this. This is a colorized one. There are a number of engravings that were in black and white that were just printed and distributed widely. And Victoria and Albert really used that image with a decorated tree and you see literally candles, um, which now just is terrifying. But anyway, um, <laughs> not everybody burned down because we still have a lot of places, but toys right on the tree and toys under the tree and the children gathered around. And so um, we know Albert really loved Christmas trees and it said that he suspended them from the ceiling at the palace and he really made it a big deal. But in addition to his family, he really distributed this image. He and Victoria really wanted that image of that family Christmas gathered around the tree. And here's another thing. This is a Victorian Christmas card. Here's where we start seeing Christmas cards or during the Victorian times. And what do you see in this card? You see decorations and you see the crackers. They're pulling the Christmas crackers. And you see those really proliferating during Victorian times. And again, the idea of it becomes a little bit of a business during this time. And I think that's one of the reasons, um, you know, technology is making printing so much easier and color printing. And by the end of Victorian Albert's reign, we have photography, which changes things again, but distributing and the industrial revolution is making a lot of things easier to make and cheaper to buy and so there are a lot of um, things in the world that are changing and Christmas is changing as well. And it really is becoming more and more widespread. People are beginning to celebrate in bigger and bigger ways. And one of the people that really helps promote and move this movement along um, sometimes, and we're not, we're not sure we're a hundred percent convinced this is totally true, right, Lindsay? But Sometimes Charles Dickens is credited with having invented Christmas. What we're hoping to show today is a lot of people were putting their part into the story of Christmas, but Christmas as we know it was certainly captured in a way that has sustained interest for many years by Charles Dickens and his wonderful and very famous book, A Christmas Carol. But I loved this image because the full title, perhaps you didn't know, A Christmas Carol <laughs> in prose being a ghost story of Christmas. And of course it is a ghost <laughs> story. And yet it has become such a famous Christmas story. So Lindsay, I know you found out some really fascinating things about this book in his time and how popular it was. Yes. So I think actually knowing the full title of the book helps because, <laughs> because I think one, it, you can kind of see why it did become so popular to Victorians because one Victoria and Albert were bringing Christmas back. That was, you know, the big revitalization of Christmas as a holiday but then, too, Victorians love ghosts. They loved ghost stories and the Gothic novel. And that's why there are so many of them from that time <laughs> period. And so I think, you know, A Christmas Carol for Victorians just kind of chick, 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 checked all the boxes um, of what a good story should be. Um, but 
more importantly, we kind of talked a little bit in the Regency about how it wasn't a public holiday, um, meaning people did not get time off work um, to spend the holiday with their friends or family. They, they would, if they went to work, they would go to work and then come home and then have their dinner. But in Victorian times, and um, it is suggested that it is in large part thanks to a Christmas carol, <laughs> um, people did get, it became a, a public holiday or as their friends in the UK might say, a bank holiday um, because employers did not want to be seen as a Scrooge. <laughs> Isn't that wonderful? They, um, <laughs> Yeah, it's so, so, so crazy. I, um, which um, it makes sense, you know, I mean, I think it is really interesting that prior to A Christmas Carol, I mean, we all see the movies or have read the book and think, oh, how terrible that he's not letting him have Christmas off. But in fact, at that time, uh, you know, people might have let their employees be off, but that was not the standard or the expected norm. People did not you know, it was not um, required for people to give the day off. And um, so so a lot of people probably did work on Christmas. And so Christmas Carol coming out and that being such a big part of the story that he doesn't give them the day off or whatever, um, really, I, I can see how that would influence people. <laughs> to you know to want to give people the day off they're like oh okay <laughs> well and that that you know, just shows um, us how powerful that literature can be that yeah, this story was so popular be, exactly. and the idea of being a scrooge was so embedded pretty quickly in especially in londoners sort of mindset that they yeah. didn't want to be a scrooge yeah i think they said it was within a few years like mm-hmm. after the the novel was released or book or I don't know what you call it, but <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that um that yeah that people started that it became there's a real push for it to become a public holiday because people don't want to didn't want to be seen that way yeah so so I I, I I just think that's a fascinating demonstration of how popular it was that employers were assuming the employees would know it and they themselves I mean it was just yeah. so widespread. And there's yeah. something about that story that really is compelling. And I think that idea, of course, the ghosts are part of that. We all love, you know, if we were writing a, a yeah. holiday story now, it might not include ghosts, but apparently right. that's, that's, <laughs> that's the strategy. So but that was the thing back then. <laughs> that was, that was, and it's continued. We all seem to still love a good ghost story. And we talked a little bit about this too, Christmas Carol still captures our imagination. So I just did a quick sweep through a handful of some of the adaptations of A Christmas Carol. And you can see everything from those that look um, a little on the creepy side, to the funny side, to the cartoony (laughs) side, to the current side, to Bill Murray's side. And I I couldn't let the holiday pass without mentioning it's the 30th anniversary of my favorite version of A Christmas Carol that I watch every year, which is yeah, Lindsay's too. Yes, we agree. The Muppet Christmas Carol like with Muppets, you know, it just it's just hard not to enjoy. And it's been 30 years. So 
But but wait, there's more because this year there are at least two new versions in 2022 of The Christmas Carol on Netflix and Apple TV coming out. So we really continue to be captivated by that story of Christmas. And I think when we see the redemption of Scrooge and we hear those words at the end about how he keeps Christmas and he helps Bob Cratchit and his family and his kindness becomes greater than his meanness was early on and um, all of those things. And Tiny Tim with God bless us, everyone really pulls that thread that Lindsay mentioned earlier of just the kindness and the giving idea or theme or spirit of Christmas that comes through. And really in the version of A Christmas Carol, whatever version you look at, that change, that preference for a kinder life and to help people and how much happier that makes us. So actually, I think is part of a big part of the reason maybe why it still is being adapted today, like why we still have lots of different versions of it, why people still care about it, because it's kind of that timeless theme of Christmas. Everybody likes seeing that here was this really mean guy and now he's not (laughs) right. (laughs) You know, he's learned about what it means to, you know, be kind and generous and right. All of that. Right. That's great. Yeah. That's a really good point in that it, it, it makes everybody happier in the end. Yeah. So that is our dash through Christmas. I'm going to put this up and then I'll put us back on, on the screen. So we at Royals, Rebels, and Romantics wish you all a happy history holiday. And I <laughs> want to thank Lindsay, who did so much of the research for a lot of the shows, but especially for this one with me. And thank you all for listening. We do have more episodes coming up, but we did want to take this moment to pause and wish you a happy history holidays. Hope all is well and you're enjoying family and friends and the kindness of the Christmas spirit. Thank you to Lindsay for joining us and to you for listening. I hope you're having plenty of happy history holiday celebrations as we keep shaking up history together.